Chapter 2 of King Mombo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. King Mombo by Paul de Chaillou. Chapter 2. A storm at sea, a tempest-tossed little bird, fine weather again, fight between a swordfish and a whale. When I came on deck in the morning, there was a great storm raging. The sky above our heads was dark and threatening. The clouds were low and moved with great swiftness. The wind blew with the fury of a hurricane and hissed through the rigging. The sails were furled except two, which, however, had three reefs in them. The sea looked fiercely angry, and the big waves broke one after another in foaming white crests. The ocean was one mass of foam and spray. The rain was pouring in torrents. Our little ship was tossed as if she had been a walnut shell. Wave after wave broke upon her side and buried her prow, pouring tons of water on our deck and enveloping us at the same time in spray. At times the men were lashed to keep them from being washed overboard. The gulls were flying over our heads, and the stormy petrel had made its appearance. For a few hours it looked as if our ship could not withstand the storm and would founder under a big wave. I thought at that time that I should never see him home again. For three days we were buffeted over the great sea. Then the storm ceased. The sails were unreefed, and the carpenters and the sailors made the necessary repairs upon our battered little ship. Suddenly I thought I heard the cry of distress of a bird, and looking upward I saw a little bullfinch flying near the ship. The bird wanted to perch on the rigging, but did not dare. He came near, then moved away, uttering little cries of anguish. Evidently the sails scared him, for he had never seen a ship before, and he knew that it was not a tree. The tempestuous wind blowing from the land had driven this little wanderer far out to sea. He had lost his reckoning and did not know where the land was. For several days and nights he had been flying, finding no trees to rest upon, no water to drink, no berries, fruits, or seeds to eat. He was exhausted, for he had had no rest and no food. Fear was in his little heart. I got water and bread ready for him in case he came on board and we could catch him. During the day he followed us, uttering his little cries of distress, but did not dare to alight upon the ship, though he knew that the sea was his enemy, and that if he fell into the water he would meet his death. Perhaps he thought of the land he had left behind, of his dear mates, of trees, of water and of food, of lovely dales and little brooks. I noticed as the day advanced that the little bullfinch did not fly so high above the sea as in the morning. Lower and lower became his flight. The motion of his wings and his despair became quicker and quicker as his strength diminished. At times he almost touched the water, then, uttering a shrill cry, he would rise, only to come down again. I shouted, "'Come and rest upon our little ship, dear little bullfinch. Come on deck. I will take good care of you. Here are food and water waiting for you.' Nobody on board is so wicked as to kill you or harm you. But the little bird kept on, and at last his body touched the sea, and as he rose he uttered a most piercing cry of distress. Then, taking an upward flight, he hovered over the ship. His strength was gone, his wings refused to move, and he fell upon the deck. I rushed quickly towards him. He was panting. I took him in my hands. How quickly his heart was beating. I gave him some water. He drank it, then dropped dead. His struggles for dear life were over. 
Then I put the little bullfinch in a small wooden box. It was his coffin, and I closed the top and buried him at sea just as the sun was disappearing below the horizon. The following day, the weather was very beautiful. A lovely blue sky was over our heads. What a change between this and the great storm we had passed through. The sea was a mass of beautiful whitecaps, each one with its own changing form. Strange as it seems, there are no two things exactly alike in the world. Not even two whitecaps, two blades of grass, two leaves, neither two men nor two women. We sailed merrily along day after day, carried on by variable winds our course being one point south of east, and one afternoon, gazing over the ocean, I saw a number of whales disporting and spouting water high in the air. Looking over the rail, my attention was suddenly attracted to a large, dark, elongated fish that was swimming fast, as if in quest of something. As it neared the ship and swam alongside, I recognized it to be a powerful swordfish, which I thought was about twelve or fifteen feet in length. Its sword seemed about three feet long and was a continuation of its upper jaw. The sword was flat and pointed at the end. The very shape of the fish showed that it could swim with great rapidity. The swordfish is the most fearless of all fishes, I reflected. He is afraid of nothing and might take our little ship for a whale and attack us. For the whale and the swordfish are sworn enemies. There are many instances on record of ships being attacked by swordfish, and their thick oak hulls pierced through, the sword remaining in the wood, the fish not having strength enough to draw it out when deeply embedded in the hull. There have also been instances in which small vessels have been sunk by them. Soon I noticed another swordfish, and saw both of them leap out of the water pursuing each other, and then discovered that they were fighting— they were swimming with the rapidity of an express train at the rate, I thought, of 30 or 40 miles an hour. They were so quick in their movements that they could not hit each other with their swords. Their dorsal fins, as they cut through the surface of the water, made a peculiar noise like a sharp boat with sails set cutting through the sea. They would disappear under the water and then reappear on the surface, then swim towards each other with such extraordinary velocity that my eyes could hardly follow them. They seemed to know that their vulnerable point was the side, and wheeled with astonishing quickness, so that they would always face each other. A short time afterwards, I saw ahead of us a great commotion in the water. The sea was white with foam. The captain shouted to me, A swordfish is fighting a whale! I went up the rigging to see the fight. The whale spouted big streams of water in the air. Its tail was slapping the sea with terrific force, beating the water into white spray all around. At times, everything was like a white mist round the huge creature, which seemed to be going in every direction, as if bewildered. It was fighting for dear life and was trying to hit its antagonist with its powerful tail. If it only succeeded in striking the swordfish, then the greatest creature of the sea would be the victor. Unfortunately, the whale is unwieldy, and the swordfish is very quick in its movements. Every frantic motion the whale made was a sign that the swordfish had plunged its long-pointed sword into its body. The fight went on for a while, the swordfish getting evidently the better of the whale, for the blows of the latter's huge tail did not strike the water with as much force as before, and the sea did not look so disturbed. Then suddenly I saw a great spout of water rise above the sea, and all became quiet. 
the fight was over. The whale had been vanquished and had received its death thrust from the swordfish, and it must have received many wounds, for as we sailed over the place where they had been fighting, the sea was red with blood. In these conflicts between the swordfish and the whale, it is said that the whale is oftener the victor, the captain said to me, for if the whale succeeds in striking the swordfish with its tail, the latter is either killed or so much stunned that the combat is not renewed. End of chapter 2